Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. This episode of The Data Show is a collaboration between O'Reilly and Google's Chatbase. My guest today is Ofer Ronan. He is the general manager of Chatbase, a startup housed within Google's Area 120. That's Google's startup incubator. So there are all sorts of statistics about the rise of chatbots. For example, Gartner predicts that by 2021, companies will spend more on bots and chatbots compared to mobile app development. So as chatbots get more widely deployed and as they tackle more complex tasks and applications, companies will need to monitor their performance. So one of the reasons I'm so excited about Chatbase is that it really automates a lot of these uh, things for developers. So think of web analytics like uh, Google Analytics or Omniture, but applied to chatbots. So what this means is that uh, developers can then focus on what they want to do, which is build the best possible chatbot. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Ofer Ronan, General Manager of Chatbase, welcome to the Data Show. Thank you very much. So let's start out by introducing you to our audience. So your background, from what I understand, you've been in this general area of dialogue systems and conversational interfaces for a while. So very quickly, walk us through your uh, background and then also describe what this area 120 inside Google is. Sounds good. Yeah, in terms of experience with conversational uh, UX, I uh, had some experience uh, when I was earlier in my career and then did a bunch of other things. In fact, five startups, and uh, and now I'm back to it uh, the last couple of years. And yeah, a lot has changed in this industry in terms of like the tools available and, and the machine learning needed to create good conversational experiences. We started Chatbase, which is a chatbot analytics and optimization service in Area 120. And Area 120 is Google's startup incubator. So you get to have a startup experience while still working at Google. And so the idea there was uh, Chatbase was always going to be spun out as a, as a different uh, entity? Yeah, so, so Area 120 consists of Google employees working on startups, but it's all owned by Google, and, and we get to graduate from the program into a Google product area is generally what happens. Uh, so it's all within the ecosystem of Google. So... Uh, I think maybe uh, 18 months ago, the term chatbot really blew up. But then uh, since then, I've, I've heard the term conversational interfaces. And some people even use the old school term dialogue systems. So for the purposes of our discussion, are these terms basically the same? To that end, should we also distinguish between text-driven and speech-driven, uh, voice-driven uh, applications? Yeah, it's a good question. There's uh, some uh, confusion around what terms should be used. And what I've seen is that the term chatbots is most often used to describe these experiences. 
and uh, sometimes it's shortened to bots. Uh, and so when it's used, it's refer it's referring to both voice and text experiences. And in fact, there's more and more hybrid experiences where you might start with voice, then tap, then back to voice. And so it's all blending together and collectively being called chatbots more often than that. The other terms like conversational interfaces, conversational UX, dialogue flow systems are a little bit more of a mouthful and more technical sounding. And so, you know, you might see them in titles of talks, but not so much when people are just talking about the market. And yeah, they're, they're a little bit less common. So I, I have a friend who uh, uh, runs Spoken Labs. Uh, for those who don't know, Spoken and Nuance are kind of these uh, big speech uh, recognition companies that power a lot of call centers. And, uh, you know, they, they've been at it for years, but then suddenly we have chatbots and the whole space has uh, blown up. So why now for chatbots? Yeah, so certain things happened that made it more mainstream. Uh, there's the explosion of chat apps uh, that got uh, everyone to spend, they spend a lot of time in these apps and, and, and now expect to be able to speak to their favorite services there. And so there's like this channel that was created uh, for bots to live in that was perfect, whereas before it was uh, harder to reach customers at scale. So it's, it's these apps, chat apps, that made it more mainstream, especially as they came out with support for bots you know, and give access to all these their users. So you talked about the you talked about the applications, but uh, Ofer, was there any fundamental technology that made chatbots suddenly uh, become easier to build? Yeah. So the other side of it is that it's been hard to get the natural language processing to work well and to recognize all the different ways people might say the same thing. And, uh, and and there's been an explosion of tools that leverage machine learning and, and NLP engines to make sense of all that's being asked of the bots. You know, so that with the increased, you know, increased capacity and capability to process data, more data out there has just made it so that there's now better tools, third-party tools for any company to take advantage of, you know, and build a decent bot out of the box. So you mentioned customer interaction and kind of that interface that we've all become familiar with when we go to one of our favorite e-commerce sites. But generally speaking, so what are the most common use cases and applications of chatbots today? So we track tens and tens of thousands of bots each month with our chat-based analytics solution. And what we see is that for large companies, they often start with the customer support use case for at least two reasons. One is that it's, you know, the automation can save them some money, but also because they want to create a more effective experience for their users who just have a quick answer that they need. In fact, there was a survey by Salesforce and a couple of other companies that found that what people want from bots is quick 24-7 answers to simple questions. And so we're seeing that being the first thing that companies tackle. Uh, and then we do see also some lead generation bots that those are simpler to build and often just um, live on the website of a company and try to gather uh, and qualify leads. So it's basically that's those are the bots when you go to a web page, they say, uh, how can I help you today? Yeah. Yeah. And so they can most of the time do a decent job and, and do a little better than, you know, just a dumb form. They can be responsive. 
uh, as they collect information from the user, they, they can respond to some common questions. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a more interactive experience and, and, uh, in many cases can be more delightful for them, for the customer. So, of course, uh, there's also the dark side of bots that we hear about, right? So the Facebook and Twitter bots. So set those aside, but are there companies that have kind of social media bots that are auto- somewhat semi-automated? You know, that's not as commonly done. Like, we, we don't see a whole lot of that. Yeah, it, could be, it could be dangerous. Huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess we've seen some of the risks of not getting it right. But I think everyone's learning from those experiences. And, and uh, yeah, I would expect there's some safeguards you can put around, like, the sentiment of the bot responses to um, let you know if you need to take down your bot. And in that example, you know, of a social media bot. But if you want some concrete examples that we've seen, we've seen not only customer support bots, so like we have this one really large e-commerce site that over uh, more than a year has built out the post-ordering support. So after you order something, you can do returns and do sh- shipment tracking. We've seen like companies do that. And, and, and then we've also seen companies build bots to help their employees with their day-to-day work. So Keller Williams, it's a, uh, which is a large Real estate company has 170,000 agents and they've built a bot for their agents to be able to, to just do the normal work that they do. Instead of using the app, they now use the bot and, and it seems to work well for certain use cases that are multi-term, They're like a back and forth kind of experience. So in your experience, uh, who are building chatbots these days? So in other words, uh, do you need to be an expert in machine learning or NLP, or is it at the point where the tools are such that regular developers can uh, put together a bot? So there's, I, I see three levels of bot builders out there. There's the non-technical kind that might come from marketing or sales and either create a prototype using a user interface, like maybe ChatFuel, which requires no programming and create like a basic experience, or they might even create some sort of decision tree bot, which is not flexible, but can gather, you know, they're good for maybe basic lead gen experiences, uh, but there's no sense of, they often can't handle type-ins, it's often button-based. So that's one level, the non-technical folks. And then there's teams that have developers on staff. Uh, they're not machine learning experts, but they're developers that can use off-the-shelf NLP engines, natural language processing engines, to extract meaning from messages sent by users. And so you're, you're extracting intents and entities and making sense of what's coming at your bot in that way without having to have machine learning expertise. And finally, you know, then this is the smallest group of developers or teams and which have the machine learning experts, and they might build their own NLP engine to give them more control over how it works. But often that's not needed if a third party solution can serve most of your needs. But we do see some teams like that. So let's assume that uh, I'm going to build a bot. And in fact, I'm going to use a cloud service, say from Google or Amazon or Azure. So what does it take to get a bot up and running? In other words, since we're throwing out the term machine learning, usually that means you need some access to labeled examples, labeled training data. So what does it take to get a bot off the ground and have it perform somewhat decently? So if we go back to those three teams I mentioned, 
it used to be that you needed a lot of labeled data to train your own machine learning model so that you can do a decent job with your bot. But more and more, there's tools like Dialogflow and other ones that can suggest other variations, like ways of saying the same thing. I mean, the whole reason for needing labeled data is so you can identify all the different ways of saying the same thing and map it to a certain function in your system. That's why you need it. And more and more, there's tools that, uh, third-party tools that can sort of uh, provide you with all these alternate ways of saying the same thing. And so you don't need to come with a uh, labeled data. And so and so there's a, a way you can get off the ground without it. Now, if you do have it, it does help because you can often feed it into a system and maybe meet, have it meet certain unique needs your customer, if it's a customer support bot, your customer support bot has. Uh, but there's more customization you can do if, if you have the labeled data, but it's optional. It seems like one of the canonical kind of the hello world example for bots based on the demos I've seen is this whole uh, let me book an airline flight example. And so with that in mind, you're building a bot like that. How do you know it's ready to go? How do you know you can deploy to production and not embarrass yourself? Yeah, so we've seen a couple of approaches. One is internal testers. So we've seen companies that have uh, often like tens of testers using the bot over time across like initial versions, finding issues in in the bot, and and sometimes they even have business analysts looking through logs for issues. With chat based, we reduce the, that need for like humans to look through logs. We automatically find issues. But point being that they use internal testers. Another approach we've seen is to roll it out to a subset of your users in one market. So we've seen. One company rolled out to 10% of UK users for a while just to like test it with that limited set. And then when it's good enough to, you know, they roll it out to a wider set. So that often works. And then uh, you can always have, there's that concern that you brought up about your bot going rogue, which is so rare. I think that, you know, the media sort of blew up that uh, Microsoft story. Tape. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, for those, you know, if you're really worried about stuff like that, you could put in place some safeguards that take the bot offline if, if it goes rogue. Which, uh, but, which by but, the way, uh, the, the cousin of Microsoft Day in, uh, in China uh, hasn't had that problem. There you go. The Chinese version. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people learn from that and, and there's some things you can put in place to avoid it. So I now have a bot. I deploy it to production. And I guess uh, this is where Chatbase comes in, because uh, for our listeners out there, think of Chatbase as like Google Analytics or Omniture for uh, chatbots. So based on uh, your work engaging with many chatbot developers, what are some of the most common problems? Yeah, we've seen that there's three common mistakes or errors in conversation that come up. We call it errors, UMM. It's the kind of things that make you go, um, that doesn't quite look right. And what it stands for is the U stands for unsupported user requests. And then the first M is misunderstood user requests. And then the last one is missed user requests. And I'll explain quickly each of them. So unsupported requests are ones that you just haven't built. Like someone is asking to upgrade their seat of a travel bot and you just haven't built that functionality. And so, yeah, as a Product manager, let's say running uh, a bot project, you you'd want to know what are the top requested features, you know, and, and so you can use machine learning to like cluster the similar requests and and show the P- product manager 
what to build next based on popularity. So that's unsupported. And then misunderstood is when the user asks for X, but the bot thinks they asked for Y. And that can be a really annoying experience for the end user. And you're likely going to lose the end user in these situations. And these happen more often when uh, a bot is expanding its use cases, otherwise known as known as intents that it handles. And, and the more intense it handles, there's more of an opportunity to mislabel and misunderstand the user. And so Chatbase looks for these mislabeled or misunderstood situations, and we suggest alternate intents. We suggest fixes. The final one is missed requests. And this is when you, you've built the functionality, you have an intent for a certain type of request, and maybe you recognize a hundred ways of, of asking for that specific intent. And there's maybe another hundred that you don't recognize. And so instead of like having, let's say, a business analyst go through your logs to find the other hundred, we automatically detect these extra ways of saying the same thing and suggest those to you so you can uh, fix the bot. So, uh, by the way, so is chat is chat based uh, software as a service or is it on prem? It's uh, SaaS, yeah, software as a service. And so, and so then, uh, chat obviously, uh, I'm sure you guys uh, really uh, make sure that my data doesn't doesn't get exposed to another company, right, and so on and so forth. But then, is there the notion over of uh, because you're seeing so many scenarios? that chat base itself is learning across all these many, many different scenarios. And I, as a user of chat base, benefits from that. Um, so you're right. We're just like Google Analytics, we're processors of your data. The data is yours and you can ask for it to be deleted. And we don't give your data to any third parties and we don't mix across clients. So all that's true. Yeah, we, we use uh, machine learning models from Google Research to extract, to do the error detection I mentioned. And so it really comes from that part of the company. But but uh, but because you're seeing so many different uh, use cases and scenarios, you probably get better at spotting what you call the UMMs, right? Yeah, so yeah, over time we can see how we can, in, in a very um, private, sensitive way, yeah, help like the ecosystem detect the um errors. Yeah, from from the data. So, what is the relative distribution of the UMMs? Is it one third, one third, one third? Good question. First of all, I would say that from our data, we see it coming up twelve percent of the time. So, imagine an app that crashes twelve percent of the time, more than one in ten times. It would be it would have a hard time retaining its users. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, so same yeah, same thing with bots. Like if a bot falls on its face that often, you know, you'd have a hard time uh, keeping retaining users. So anecdotally, we haven't actually uh, yet done a full analysis. The least common ones are misunderstood requests. And then depending on the bot, either unsupported or missed can be more common. Yeah, so, so we've seen cases where missed is the most common, other ones where unsupported is. But definitely like misunderstood is rare, but it's the most acute issue. Like it's the most annoying. Does Chatbase also support the voice applications? It does, yeah. Chatbase works regardless of how you build your bot or where you deploy it, and it works for voice and text. So then uh, distribution of UMM differ between text and voice? It's a good question. You know, we haven't done that analysis. I can tell you that voice bots tend to be single turn and text bots average three turns per session. 
So that might affect the distribution of um errors, but we haven't done that analysis yet. So we're early 2018. Let's look ahead, say, to 2023 or something like that. I mean, uh, I think that a lot of uh, analysts are speculating that uh, chatbots and basically conversational interfaces will be much, much more uh, widespread as a, as a mode of interaction. So what capabilities will those chatbots in 2023 have that they don't have now? So, yeah, you're right. Analysts are speculating. And uh, one stat from Gartner is that by 2021, so a couple of years before you uh, mentioned, uh, over half of enterprises will spend more on building bots than apps. So that's pretty significant to imagine like that it's going to be more resources spent on this than apps. Currently, about a, a fifth of uh, large company CIOs are building bots. So there's already like a good, and that's also from Gartner. So there's a good like uh, initial foray into it. In terms of where things might go, just like today, you know, websites, people started building them in the 90s and they looked pretty rough around the edges back then. And today you can build a pretty impressive website without any developer help. Like you just go to a GoDaddy or a Wix and, and you generate a pretty impressive website. So you can imagine that in a few years, a lot of templates will be available for common use cases for bots, especially on the sales and marketing side. And then on the support, customer support side, that can be more custom. But there you'll also have tools that, that uh, can uh, process all your human support conversations and, and generate the bot for you on the fly based on the common use cases in, in the human support conversations. So there's a lot of like automation and, and ease of use coming. And, so what, and, uh, what, what, what some people call enterprise workflow automation. Yeah, I could call it that. Yeah, but it's just going to be much more prevalent uh, because it'll be much easier to create good experiences, good bot experiences. So will the bots exhibit things like emotional intelligence at that point? <laughs> That's hard. You know, I have a master's in AI and it's been a topic for a long time to like uh, have common sense in bots, you know, the turn test, which is needed for emotional intelligence. And yeah, I think we're a few decades from that, but there could be more limited experiences that mimic that. You know, they some might be able to, and, Yeah, they yeah. might be able to detect kind of broad categories like you are happy or stressed. Yeah, so they can do elements of it and, and, and be impressive and useful, but not quite human-like yet. And I think there's also like the opportunity for Hollywood and, and you know, the entertainment world to create unique experiences in the bot space. And, and that is hard, but I think will be more and more impressive over time. So then all, right now, the way bots are used, it seems like, as you cited earlier, uh, voice conversations tend to be one turn, text conversations tend to be three turns. But do you think by then we will have deeper conversations? So I guess uh, to the point where we're getting closer to like the notion of a personal assistant or something like that. Yeah, so today we approach bots cautiously as humans. Like if we know it's a bot, we try to limit our vocabulary and, and uh, try to be uh, to guess what the bot might understand. But as bots become smarter uh, and more natural to talk to, we'll approach them differently. And you can expect that that also will mean uh, deeper conversation that delve into topics where context is kept and, and there's a sense of 
recalling and referencing things that were discussed already, just like uh, conversations between humans. Yeah, like, uh, for example, if going back to that uh, travel agent example, right? So I book a flight, I say, okay, I, let me think about it. And then I come back and then we pick up our conversation. Exactly, yeah, because it can be really annoying today to have to repeat yourself and you know, have the bot really just either no memory or really short term. It's just not a good experience. So that will just get better over time. There's already solutions, including Dialogflow, that provides a, a level of memory you know, or context is what they call it. And, and that's just getting better and better. Let's close by kind of talking about the present. I forgot to ask you this question, but generally speaking, so we talked a lot about customer interaction as kind of the canonical use case right now. But as far as industry verticals, is there a particular sector in the economy that's a little more ahead in terms of adoption of, of bots? Is it finance? Is it healthcare? So is there a particular sector that stands out to you? I wish you asked me this in a, in a month or so, because we're just now starting to collect verticals of our clients. So we can do analysis like that. But I'm trying to anecdotally think about that. You know, I, I've over the last 18 months or so, actually more than that, working in this space, I've talked to every type of company. It just seems like it's pervasive, like, you know, from finance to insurance to retail to, you know, whatever else you, you can think of. Companies are investing in building these experiences. And, you know, the, the one, I mean, there's certain differences I see as a tools provider, you know, certain verticals like banking and in, insurance are more, have more concerns around like their data and privacy, which is understood. And so we have to, um, you know, alleviate those concerns. But but I, I, I honestly can't say that there's one vertical that we've seen stand out. I, I've been surprised by how pervasive it is across verticals. Oh, actually, here's my closing question, which is today, the impression I get over is that a lot of chatbots are rule-based. There's a tree, right? So that you navigate the string. So at some point, do you think that these bots will be able to have some notion of self-learning or continuous learning where you don't have to, as a developer, write down all the scenarios up front? Yeah, so, I mean, the way I imagine that working is I talked about earlier how you can use human support conversations to inform what the bot should support as like a leading indicator of what people want to talk about. And so you could imagine automation around that that detects new topics. Uh, and that could be related to seasonality. You know, let's say as Christmas arrives, the conversation topics change. And the bot using human support bots to generate responses for the new topics that come up. And so I, I see that being possible that, you know, you have some corpus of data, the human support data feeding the automated piece, the bot based on what's coming and, you know, in that way becoming smarter and more capable over time. Well, this has been great. Thank you for filling us in. And uh, again, the company is called Chatbase. And if you're building bots, you need to know what's working and what's not. And Chatbase is the tool for you. Thank you very much. You can follow Ofer Ronan on Twitter at Ofer Ronan. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.